0: Welcome to On This is episode 15, Allergies and Inflammation, an interview with naturopath and podcaster Jules Galloway. Welcome to On I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. I love spring, as I'm sure you do. Aside from one thing, those darn allergies. In today's episode, we talk to naturopath Jules Galloway, not just about seasonal allergies, but about inflammation generally, and tackle questions like, what exactly is inflammation? And how does it become chronic? How do we improve seasonal allergies so we can enjoy Saturdays at the kids' soccer again? And what are the possible health complications with taking medications for allergies and inflammation?
1: it often comes down to our underlying state of health like how well are we going into that exposure you know why do two people breathe in pollen and one person is is having hay fever and is it that we need to go back and do the really old good old-fashioned naturopathic stuff like heal the gut heal the liver yeah Jules
0: Galloway is a naturopath and functional medicine practitioner whose sweet spot is helping women with fatigue and burnout to regain their health and improve their energy levels. In her practice, she uses a unique blend of cutting-edge science, real food, and natural medicine. Jules also hosts a fabulous podcast, Straight Talking Natural Health, which I love, and you will too. Jules says she's on a mission to help women feel happy, in control, and full of vitality. So let's jump in. Jules, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Um, uh, I've been listening to your podcast actually and it's so enjoying it. It's so educational and um, and as a fellow precky, I love to get the nitty gritty juicy stuff which I get from you and also the like kind of girl talk fun stuff. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, so thank you for, for doing oh. such a good job and bringing entertainment and education all in one.
1: Thank you so much. I think without entertainment, you can't really have education these days. Honestly, it's it's got to be a little bit fun. Otherwise, it just doesn't stick in your head. That's true. Or it's like uh, learning by rote at school, isn't it? It's like you leave and then you forget it all. <laughs> yep. Hello, bio- biochemistry, we're looking at you.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. Hey, excuse my sexy voice today. I'm. Um, uh, yes, I, I was thinking maybe I'm actually a method actor seeing as we're talking about allergies and inflammation. I thought I'd play the part today and like really get my inflammation voice on for you.
1: <laughs> well, I think you sound amazing so bring it on. Oh, well, next time not
0: so sexy so I'll apologize in advance but today the sexy one. <laughs> hey, let's start with a really basic question because we're talking about inflammation both chronic and also seasonal allergies today we hear so much about inflammation you know everywhere everyone's talking about oh it's inflammation inflammation but let's start with a basic question what actually is inflammation in the body
1: okay so there's there's two ways that we could attack this one would be the boring dry crusty biochemistry path or we can just look at this as a bit of a bigger picture so let, let's go the big picture path so inflammation in the body is simply when the body thinks there is some sort of foreign invader or pathogen that's happening right now and it produces a response to deal with that. So it basically puts out feelers to see whether there's anything going on in the body that it might deem as being abnormal and then when it finds these signs then if if there being some sort of foreign invader it then produces this big onslaught it sends out the troops to go and deal with that and so it sends out these troops and they cause heat they cause swelling they cause redness they cause fatigue they cause rashes and histamine responses and and seasonal allergies are a part of that response as well so Mm -hmm you know inflammation can happen anywhere in the body uh like i know today we're talking a lot about seasonal allergies so we'll be talking about your you know your usual kind of uh ear nose throat lungs type responses to to you know and again what the body thinks is a foreign invader. And in this case, it could be things like grasses and pollens and dust and things in the air at this time of the year. Uh, But inflammation can happen in other places in the body as well. We often think of inflammation and we think like joints uh, or muscles. or So anything where there's like swelling or redness or pain. In my practice, I often will talk a lot about neuroinflammation as well because I I deal with a lot of complex clients and complex cases often in my practice, and often people will have issues with neuroinflammation, which will be more neurological or, um, mental emotional yeah. events
0: so yeah yeah it's, that's a massive one yeah. actually with mental health because i think we're starting to see to to look at well certainly um practitioners like you and i and also functional medicine doctors are starting to see mental health issues as more of a brain inflammation and an overall inflammation process as opposed to the old you know Biochemical theory, of course, which has gone out the window more or less. But yeah, that um, brain inflammation thing is very interesting, actually.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it covers a spectrum of health conditions. We're really only just starting to realise now, and so yeah, it used to be that it wouldn't be called neuroinflammation until things were really dire. But now we're realising that there are other there are other parts of that spectrum as well that will still cause a person to have a lot of nasty symptoms.
0: Yeah, and of course, everyone so bio-individual
1: so it could cause mild
0: symptoms in someone else and major in another can't it
1: it can cause anxiety in one person and vertigo in another and then Mm. pins and needles in the fingers in another and then I've I've had another client who's had uh, episodes of fainting and then someone else has had like mini sort of seizures but all of those things that I just mentioned all boil down to the same thing which is neuroinflammation so yeah it's a really interesting area of health at the moment.
0: Yeah, it is. And that ju- I'm just writing myself a note because it makes me think we need to do a whole nother episode on neuroinflammation because I think especially with COVID there's so many people suffering from depression and anxiety these days it's just skyrocketing and I think you know that's a really important thing to tackle so we can understand our bodies better and maybe do a bit of a deeper dive into what's what's going on behind all of this what do you
1: reckon absolutely and one of the key drivers of neuroinflammation i'm finding at the moment is mold mold illness mold Mm. mold exposure and what are we all doing more of at the moment this year With yes and so what if your house is moldy and you're getting more of a dose than usual what happens hadn't
0: even thought of that one that's massive yeah Wow. wow
1: hey It it
0: interests me that um, the habit for practitioners generally in most modalities has been to dampen down inflammation, especially traditionally. But there is a movement towards rethinking inflammation in some contexts, especially where there's acute injury, of course. So someone gets a broken leg or, you know, gets knocked about at footy or whatever. Can you talk to us about the times where inflammation is actually crucial to healing and why reducing inflammation in those type of situations can actually be problematic?
1: where is it crucial to healing well let's have a look at what inflammation is again like it's that heat and redness and that response right so your body is actually trying to get blood flow to the injured area so like you said if it was a football injury you might notice that you've twisted your ankle or you know hurt your knee and you'll actually see it swell up and this is, you know, this is part of the body's healing response. It's it's trying to protect you. It's trying to heal you. And it's also trying to get blood flow out to that area to mm. clean out all the old stuff and to actually get, you know, the, the nutrients and the blood and everything there to help to heal it. So- Yes, sometimes a bit of inflammation is not a bad thing. It's, It's when the body gets stuck in that inflammatory response and it can't get out of there again, that's when we start to see it turn chronic and that's when we have more of a problem.
0: Yeah. So do, what's your thinking around this here? And this might not be your your forte, Jules, but what's your thinking if um, it, it's always been that if, uh, if our kids come home and they've had a bump or at school, or whatever, that's straight on the ice pack and, you know, it's ice until the swelling goes down or then you've got the, you know, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off. Like what's sort of your theory around um, acute inflama- inflammation as far as injury goes, you know, whether we're, are we trying to dampen down that initial response or not?
1: oh it's a really tough one because uh especially if you're talking about kids you're trying to get the pain down as well and and so if if they're in a lot of pain and the ice is relieving that then I think job done because uh if you say oh no I don't want to get the inflammation down but here have a bunch of painkillers to get you through the night (laughs) we've kind of like ruined things a bit so um I I think where where I draw the line as a naturopath and And this is, I could tell you a story in a minute if you like, because I'm like the most hypocritical person ever (laughs) right now. But yeah, where, where I draw the line as a naturopath is where we're starting to put chemicals into a person, like drugs into a person to really take that inflammation away without dealing with the reason for why it's happening in the first place. So ice pack, yep, no worries. Elevation, you know, all the usual stuff. And, yes, I know that every year they come out with the first aid guides and say, oh, we now realise that maybe we shouldn't be icing. Oh, well, last year we thought we shouldn't be icing, but now we're thinking 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off is good. Like every year they're going to change what, what they found in the research and they're going to change the guidelines accordingly and that's great like I think we should be following that but yeah it's where people are starting to like pop anti-inflammatories without going for the root cause of the problem that that I start to think oh really should we be doing this but having said that I took a very A well-known I won't I won't mention brand names because that would be silly (laughs) uh, but I took a very well-known very very strong uh, prescription only anti-inflammatory for a few days myself about a month ago because I had this injury to my arm that just everything I did would not shift it I tried everything like I own a I own a, a dispensary right so So I have at my disposal pretty much every natural anti-inflammatory, really good quality, under the sun, walk into my own dispensary, make myself up any concoction I want, happy days, tried everything, nothing shifted this inflammation until I had three days on this anti-inflammatory from the doctor, right, I actually yep. went to the doctor. Oh, my oh my lord! Like, oh, my God, what am I <laughs> doing here? What am I, what am I doing here? But, yeah, went to the doctor, got the drugs, sat the drugs there for a couple of days and, de- you know, gave them death stares. I just looked yeah, at a little bet. packet and I was like, look, I don't like you. You don't like me, but I think I might need you. Um, <laughs> Let's square up. But then as well as that, I also had a, a, a beautiful friend who made me this amazing uh, jar of crushed up comfrey mixed with coconut oil. And she blend, ah. blended it all down, gave it to her husband. He dropped it in, and I wrapped my arm in the most old school comfrey poultice. It took me back Amazing. to like naturopathy circa like nineteen ninety five. And I'm wrapping my arm in this comfrey poultice. But then on the other on the other flip side of things, I was also popping this drug, and I was like, something's going to work. Uh, yeah, well exactly, <laughs> and exactly. Best of both worlds, right? They they both worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look, I th- you know long story short i think there's a time and a place for everything and and a lot of people when when you tell them you're a naturopath they automatically go oh okay so you don't you never take any drugs yeah you, you do you drink alcohol do you not drink it? are you vegan <laughs> like what what's, you know, are pe- you a priest yeah. <laughs> and like it's i just think there's a time and a place for everything but if you're constantly popping these these drugs like I actually spoke to a friend of mine from the gym and I was like oh my god I can't believe I'm on this particular drug that like I've always like poo-pooed and and she's like oh yeah I take that all the time and I'm like right that that's what I don't think is amazing I think that's where we start to go right what what are the side effects of this drug oh right it affects your digestive system it hurts your stomach like it might might rip you a new upper digestion while it's on its way through Mm. okay let's look at you know, using this for emergencies only and what else can we do before we reach for that thing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll dive a bit deeper into that in a little bit because that's kind of a pet area of mine is, um, you know, chronic use of medication that maybe should have only been used in an acute situation and people don't understand the side effects, especially long-term. So we'll go into that because I think we need to do a little expose for everybody who kind of thinks that because you can buy it over the counter, it's probably safe. Um, yeah, I like to shine a li- light on those things. It's funny though, isn't it? Just it, totally off topic. But uh how you said, you know, people say you're a naturopath. Well, you don't drink, you don't whatever, whatever. Um, Yeah, I as a, as a nutritionist, people are often apologising when they're you know eating a bar of chocolate. Oh, you're a nutritionist. I'm so sorry. I'm just I just ate a Mars bar. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, it's fine. I eat chocolate. It's all good. I yeah. ate ice cream last week. You know, it's all fine. But yes, it is. It's sort of like you're a minister of the earth when <laughs> when you have a label, isn't it? I-
1: no, and I know a lot of naturopaths, as I'm sure you you do as well. Yeah, there's not many out there that are perfect. <laughs> no,
0: there's not many, and they certainly don't move in our normal circles. <laughs> no, I
1: don't know where they're hanging out. Probably out the back of Nimbin somewhere on their own permaculture <laughs> yeah, garden. But they're, cer- right. they're certainly not in my group of friends. No,
0: not not. We're all imperfect. So let's talk about chronic inflammation specifically first. What kind of assaults on the body can cause chronic or longer term inflammation?
1: Oh, so many things. And I like how you use the word assaults because it just sounds so nasty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it can be it can be a minor assault or a major assault, though, can't it? So like obviously the first one would be something like infection because like i said before like it the inflammatory response is a response where the body thinks there's a foreign invader so the first thing that can cause inflammation is a foreign invader and so that could be any sort of bacterial infection or um or bug that you've picked up it could be an infection that has entered through the skin so think about like the inflammatory response you have when someone gets like a staph infection in the skin Um, it can also be a a pathogen that's entered the gut so it could be like that foreign invader is actually in the gut uh not in you know not in the airways or not in the skin yep uh airborne allergens I'm sure we'll be talking about today a lot because uh hay fever season yeah so airborne allergens you know pollens grasses dust mold Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the old mold thing again yeah uh, yep. food allergens let's talk about all the things that people can be allergic and intolerant to in terms of food and obviously the more leaky the person's gut is the more we believe that those foods are going to become problematic so poor diet can cause inflammation and just quickly on that Sometimes uh, people think that if they're
0: intolerant to a food, they're thinking more food allergies. Mm. They're thinking that immediate reaction. So, for example, you might say, oh, I'm fine with bread, you know, so I I eat gluten, I eat bread, whatever, because I don't – um, I don't run to the toilet or I'm not vomiting. Or
1: well, I did not, a celiac test. and yeah, I, Yes, <laughs> adult
0: tests not exactly. But they're not seeing that there could be long-term, very uh, almost um, insidious reactions in their body to food intolerances that they don't know exist or they've just become accustomed to that weird feeling that they call normal which Uh. they don't realize is actually subnormal, but they're so used to the feeling. So- I think it's important just to highlight food intolerances. We're not talking necessarily about food allergies, which is more the rash around the mouth, the, the constricted airways and so on. We're talking about things that may be having an impact on you, low-grade over a longer period of time. So It's something that people really need to flag with their naturopath or nutritionist or certainly your nutritionist or naturopath will flag it. Yeah. But it's something they need to attend to rather than just write it off
1: seriously, if I had a dollar for every time someone has come to me in practice in the last 15 years and said, I've been checked for food allergies and I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. But what did you have done? What test did you do? I don't know. I just got tested for food allergies and I'm fine. Okay. Well, so let's just go through what that means. So if you've had a celiac test They've only checked a couple of markers for gluten. They haven't checked all the possible markers for gluten. So, celiac yeah. tests might test, say, an IgE mediated response or an IgA mediated antibody response. They may not check for an IgG response and so IgG is the most common food intolerance marker that I look for in practice and if you find someone who comes up IgG with an IgG mediated response for gluten that does not mean they're celiac right celiac is a completely different thing food allergy completely different thing. I've had a client who had an IgE response to gluten and she wasn't celiac, but she was highly allergic to gluten. And she was having this IgE response and the IgE response. That's the one that I always remember it because E stands for emergency. That's the one where people have an immediate allergic reaction. We're talking within the hour usually and think like what, what was I saying about inflammation before like heat redness etc so think about like an extreme reaction would be like a peanut allergy in a child but there are other you know I've seen people have asthmatic responses to dairy etc so they can again it's a spectrum and it, and it's a spectrum in terms of severity so yeah so just because someone comes and says okay I'm fine I've had it I've had an allergy test it's fine or they've had the skin print pinprick test the grass yes. test where did they... Put the they put the needles in the skin. They prick the skin and they put a little drop of each substance on there. And they say, "Oh, I'm fine with gluten because I had it checked on my skin." Your your skin is not your gut, Sunshine. That's (laughs) exactly right.
0: We're not rubbing bread on our arms,
1: right? Well, no, I'm not. People put milk on their skin, though. But anyway, that's a whole other topic, right? Now that's really
0: important to clear up, isn't it? The medical sort of typical medical um, spectrum of tests for this sort of stuff is not even really scraping the surface so this is something if people are suffering whether it's seasonal allergies or whether it's just chronic discomfort headaches whatever it is just not feeling a hundred percent or without you know with lack of energy or just vague symptoms or bad symptoms you've got to get your gut tested for all these food intolerances so so important
1: Yep, yeah, and sometimes it can be a group of foods. Like sometimes people will be, they'll come back and their IgG test was fine, but they're still reacting. We know they're reacting to gluten, but they're also reacting to dairy. And then I'll say to them, oh, how do you go with like a meal that's got a lot of onion in it? And they'll go, oh, yeah, bloating gas, mm-hmm. not not good. I'll be right, right they're all in a group called the FODMAPs. And so maybe we've got a FODMAP issue. So that's that's where seeing a trained practitioner can come in really handy because sometimes you're not even reacting to one food, you're reacting to a cluster or a group of foods like histamine foods or sulfur foods or FODMAP, high FODMAP foods. And so it's up to us to do the detective work to start to figure out, okay, is this a group of foods? And what do you know? You take them off that group of foods, the gut starts to heal. If the gut starts, to heal your body stops overproducing histamine and when your body stops overproducing the histamine but a bing the allergies start to improve
0: yeah and how good is that (laughs) love it (laughs) love it good (laughs) what else can cause chronic inflammation you've listed a few and then i so rudely interrupted you
1: no not at all uh where did we get to though i think I think I didn't mention chemicals. Yeah. So I, I deal with a lot of regional and rural clients who've lived on farms mm-hmm. and have been exposed to farm chemicals and then have had inflammatory responses to life ever since, mm. um, viruses, Dare we even dip our toe in the little pool of the tick-borne illnesses? Uh, so, of can of worms. Yeah, let's not today. I want to. <laughs> I want to keep my job today. Yes, um, <laughs> but there, look, that there, you can have respon- uh, allergic responses or inflammatory responses to drugs. You can have them to herbs. You can have them to just about anything out there. But at the end of the day, if your gut is not working fantastically and if your liver is not working fantastically, it does it put you more in the firing line of, of having something like this. Yeah,
0: having that body that's kind of ready for a fight already, isn't it?
1: Yeah, like why, people, why, why are two people bitten by a tick and only one gets sick? Why do two people get exposed to glyphosate in farm chemicals and only one person gets symptoms? Why do two people live in a mouldy house and one person is having allergic responses and one is not? So it often comes down to our underlying state of health like how well are we going into that exposure yeah you know why do two people breathe in pollen and one person is is having hay fever and is it that we need to go back and do the really old good old fashioned naturopathic stuff like heal the gut heal the heal liver the yeah yeah
0: as a naturopath what's the typical presentation of symptoms that you see from clients who are in that chronic state of inflammation and then What's generally your process for helping them attend to those matters?
1: Usually when people come to me, they don't necessarily come to me for allergic reaction or, you know, histamine response or, uh, you know, sinusitis or whatever, but they do have those things when they come to me, but they're actually coming to me for fatigue. So, you know, my typical client out there is female. She's aged about 35 to 45. She may have a couple of children and she's been putting off her own health for a long time. But yeah. what tri- what actually puts her over the line in booking in to actually start working together is the fatigue, like her energy levels have just gone down and down and down. But what you'll find behind that is all this other underlying stuff that we talked about. And, and on top of that, I see a lot of brain fog I see a lot of poor digestion, people going, oh, yeah, look, you know, bowel motions never quite perfect bit of IBS or a bit of constipation oh yeah oh well well. it's not debilitating like I don't have to like stress out when I'm driving that I need to know where the next toilet is so it's not a big deal and um and it's like well it's a big deal to me keep talking (laughs) but yeah it could be the hormones are a little bit out of whack or the thyroid's a little bit out of whack there might be some weight gain like these are all warning signs that there could be something going on uh, and the body is in that state of a low grade sort of chronic inflammation and and these are all the things that we then monitor in order to know if the person is getting better and how fast they're getting better it's like okay tell me all about your headaches tell me about your brain fog tell me about you know your digestion and then after we've worked together for a month or two at the follow-up consultation, I'll be like, right. So last time you told me that, you know, your your anxiety was a seven out of ten. Where's it? Oh, okay, it's a six out of ten now. All right. Your brain fog was a, was an eight out of ten. Whereas it out now, okay, it's you know, four out of ten. They said this is good. Uh Tell me about your poo, like compared to last time. Because last time I took notes. Yeah. Believe me, I took we notes about poo. your poo. We love right? talking about people's poo. It's a yeah.
0: favourite naturopathic thing, isn't it?
1: Oh, I've I've got pages and pages and pages of details about people's poo. It's oh, just that's it's that's, it's that's actually my so life. Exciting. <laughs> you know, what do you do for a living, Jules? Oh, I sit and ask people about their poo, and then I tell them not <laughs> to <they'll laughs> eat gluten. That's, that's pretty much my, that's my day. Right. <laughs> that's right. But, yeah, like we're always, I'm always checking in with all of those other symptoms because maybe if they came to me for fatigue or maybe if they came to me for weight loss, those things might take a bit longer to lift. But if you take notes on the other stuff, you can know that you're that things are shifting in the right direction and that there are improvements happening. It's like, okay, last time you had headaches four days out of seven. How many days out of seven? Oh, only, t- only twice a week now. All right, well, that's good. Let- let's keep going. And that way, we know whether to change something or whether to just give it a bit more time.
0: Yeah. And I think from a naturopathic perspective too, this is the way that that naturopaths and nutritionists work is that we we don't just work on a you know it's not just check off a symptom yep we're going to give you something for your headache so now your headache disappears you know that that acute sort of a uh, treatment that a doctor might give it's it's Trying to follow the map where the client's symptoms and body, and then um, remission of symptoms leads you, isn't it? And just peeling away the layers of that onion, one piece at a time, because I think then often people find that there's symptoms they that they're not even recognizing until suddenly they go and they think, "Oh my goodness, now I'm actually," you know, I, "I've suddenly noticed that I," you know, "I don't smell as much when I sweat or whatever it is. It's something that they may not have even considered to be part of the symptom picture that they actually." It suddenly occurs to them that that's no longer a problem anymore, or or a sexual dysfunction, or something else that they haven't put together as being uh, a piece of the greater jigsaw puzzle. So I think, um, and I think patience with this process is really important for clients because it's not just let's just um, get rid of your symptoms. We really want to see people's health unfold in a in a beneficial way because that's a long term benefit, isn't it? Long term gain.
1: Absolutely. But I really love it when you get those little wins along the way where they come back and say, oh my God, I didn't have period pain this month, but that hasn't, that hasn't happened for years. Or, or the best one is where they come back and say, I no longer want to rip my husband slash child's head off when... (laughs) 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 <laughs> yep. when when they annoy me like I feel like my threshold for being tipped over the edge in into grumpy mood is is getting better and and that stuff is so awesome because it's it's unexpected for the client
0: yeah
1: and, they're coming and, for fatigue
0: but they're actually finding that they don't feel as agitated or angry I mean that's actually that's actually massive isn't it what a it's change in huge. life! Yeah, it's
1: it is huge, and it's it's really has a massive impact on the whole family then as well, which is awesome.
0: Mm. We um so busy these days, and we we often don't pay attention to those little canaries in the coal mine. I think until the problem often snowballs into something much bigger. What should we recognize as those little red flags that our body's in a state of chronic inflammation, and then? How do we attend to those issues so that they I mean we've talked a bit about how we as practitioners do it, but let's say just for uh the listeners how do how do they recognize those red flags and how do they attend to those issues so that they don't keep cropping up and then they don't become snowballs as well?
1: Ah, oh, so many and and I think if we go back to what what I just mentioned as well you know the fatigue, the brain fog, the poor digestion. The hormone issues, the weight gain, but also pain. I think I forgot to mention pain. Yeah, a like big one. That's a huge one. And you can you can mark that down out of 10 and keep track of that one as well. So it's really handy to ask ask people to score their pain out of 10 and and to keep track of what's going on too. Yeah, The little red flags, I always think brain fog. Mm. Always, always, always brain fog or any sort of mood stuff or a little bit of anxiety creeping in. I I really feel like the fatigue and the brain fog are the canaries and the digestion yep. if the if the digestion's not fabulous then nothing else is going to be perfect. Nothing else is going to heal perfectly unless the digestion comes online. So I really feel like the digestion is the canary in the coal mine, but yeah, f- definitely fatigue, definitely brain fog. Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think often, and you're talking about that 35 to 45, which I thankfully
0: still fit into. I'm 44, so I'm hanging I'm, in there. Oh, probably. my God. You and me both. we got
1: one more good year <laughs> and then more we we're good like. Year, then yeah. it's all
0: downhill. No, no. Then then 45 becomes the new 35, right? And then we're on the next 10-year. Amazing. Totally. <laughs> then, then
1: menopause is going to smack us in the oh, face. Oh,
0: not, not, not at all. <laughs> you know, we I think especially in that age group because it's often that really stressful period of let's say babies buying a house maybe getting married you know all those crazy things maybe starting to look after aging parents all of that stuff and I think we often think of those particular symptoms that you said like brain fog for example as just being par for the course like well, I have two little kids, and yeah, I'm busy, and I'm also trying to run a business or or have hold down a job, so it's normal. But should we accept that stuff as being normal? Is that a normal part of life to feel brain foggy and forget where your keys are eighty percent of the time, and you know, forget to put lunch your lunchbox in your kids' bag and all of that? Or is that actually is that those particular experiences? Should we be um, paying heed to that?
1: I think we need to really differentiate between two words, common and normal. Yeah, And this isn't just applying to this particular, the fatigue, the brain fog, the short-term memory, the where's my keys, why did I put a shoe in the refrigerator, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I laugh with acknowledgement because <laughs> I recognise all of this. <laughs> right. So like we can apply it to things like asthma and eczema and tonsillitis and kids getting chest infections like the amount of times I've heard someone say oh I was just told that it was normal and that I would grow out of it Mm -hmm. or that they would grow out of it and oh yeah that's normal and I to me these things are never normal they're common so asthma very common not normal eczema very common Mm -hmm. not normal brain fog fatigue. Very common. Yeah, not normal. Just because we're all suffering from it doesn't mean that we should. It just means that we're all doing something that needs to change. That we're all being affected by something that's going on, and and perhaps we're all eating white bread and wheat bix and things that maybe weren't the best choices for us. Like I grew up as a wheat bix kid. I ate white bread, like I I'm a child of the eighties. Um, we're exactly the same age, it <laughs> yeah, turns out. So that's excellent. So I'm I'm pretty sure you'd be recognizing some of these things too. Yeah. And, and and like I had all the normal kid stuff. Yep. I had the tummy aches, I had the anxiety, I had the the eczema, I ended up getting asthma. Mm-hmm. Oh, grew out of that in inverted commas but I grew out of that and then developed something else mm-hmm. and and I was told over and over again that this was just normal but it's not it's common but you know what else was common eating those standard australian diet yeah. foods eating the gluten eating the dairy eating the sugar eating the processed food that was common and so if if everyone who's suffering from these things sits up and reevaluates and looks at what we all need to do differently then maybe these things would be less common and we would stop seeing them as being normal.
0: Mm, Such a good point. Let's talk about seasonal allergies. Seeing as we're coming into spring, and you know we're already seeing the the sneezing and the itchy eyes and all of that sort of stuff coming in. I don't know about you guys in Byron, but in Adelaide, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's how that's how it is at the moment. So let's give some really practical stuff. But first of all, I want to just get down to that biochemistry kind of nitty gritty again. Why do we (laughs) sneeze and get itchy eyes and runny noses and so on as a reaction to pollens in the spring?
1: Histamine. (laughs) Histamine. Now, histamine is not the bad guy that we always make him out to be. I don't know why I just called it a him. But anyway. (laughs) Because it's a baddie. (laughs) Right. Sorry to all the men. Yeah. Uh, we love men. So yeah, we look, I don't know why histamine is always made out to be such a bad guy because in small amounts we actually really need it in a body. There's heaps of things that histamine does at a biochemical level that are super important. And if you had really, really low histamine, that's another set of, of of stuff that you have to deal with. So like just just to be really clear, we don't necessarily want to always just be about dampening down the histamine. But A lot of people, when they have this seasonal allergy stuff going on, it's because they're overproducing histamine in in amounts where we really aren't going to feel very well. So little known fact, histamine is made in the gut and why are naturopaths always banging on about the gut? needing to be healthy, well, <laughs> this is one, one more reason. all no linked so, together. Yeah, if your gut is not well, if you've got a bacterial overgrowth or something going on in the gut that's out of whack, if you've got a dysbiosis, which is just a fancy naturopath term for good versus bad bacteria, are not in balance. So if you don't have enough of the good guys or if you've got too many of the not-so-good guys, again, I don't know why they're guys. Sorry to all the men. <laughs> um, but what's going to happen is that those areas of the gut uh, that are unhealthy, that also happens to be where your histamine is being made mm-hmm. and then the gut will start to produce histamine in elevated amounts. That's why whenever someone comes to me for hay fever, they usually go away with a gut healing powder as well as their vitamin C and their herbs. You know, we give them their bical Skull Cup or their Elbizia, their Echinacea, their Elder and all these beautiful herbs and Eyebrite. Like we've got tonnage of those things. But most people also leave with some sort of gut healing protocol, either a gut healing powder or a probiotic, and that's why. So if your histamine is being overproduced in the gut, you can expect to have more issues in that department. Now, There are other reasons that people can overproduce histamine as well. Uh, And I I don't want to really get into a a methylation discussion today because I don't have my biochem notes in front of me and I'm notoriously (laughs) terrible at it. Someone the other day asked me, can you explain to me what methylation is? I was like, Oh, but can anybody explain oh, methylation? God. It's the can most just, complicated thing ever. <laughs> I just showed them the picture. And once I showed them the picture with all the arrows and the little wheels and the things going around and around, I was like, all right, that's easier. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Look, look, long story short, some people have uh, genetic tendencies to having issues with histamine in the bloodstream as well. Um, and so if if someone is under-methylating, they may produce more histamine as well. And that can come down to the fact that some of us have got some gene variants or uh, gene mutations that change the way our bodies actually do do a process called methylation and the result of that can be histamine issues. Mm So sometimes we're looking at gut, sometimes we're looking at biochemistry, uh, and then also we need to obviously look at whether the person is uh exposed to something in their environment that's heightening their reaction. Because remember, inflammation is the body's response to what it thinks is a foreign invader, a pathogen. So say if you're living in a moldy house and then you also happen to be a hay fever type person, I really believe that if your body's already on high alert dealing with the mold, what's going to happen when the hay fever season comes along? Yeah everything's already prepped and ready to go in terms of sending out those inflammatory troops. Yep,
0: absolutely. So the best thing people can, well, I'm going to actually ask you this question in a second, but I'll preface it by kind of giving an answer because what you're saying is the best way to deal with upcoming season seasonal allergies is not just on an acute level, like just give me something for the allergies, but it's actually preparing your body to deal better with the onslaught of histamines, right? So if, you're, if your yep. body is regulating properly, you shouldn't have the same response you've always had or that real super angry response, you know, or if you're looking at your environmental issues and so on and dealing with those, it's like cleaning the house before you move something else in. So it's not angry and messy and raring to go.
1: Exactly. If your body's having like this heightened response to some pollen or some grass in the air, like why was it on high alert in the first place? Yeah. It didn't. It didn't go from zero to hero overnight. Something else has been chugging along in the background that we need to address in order to actually get a full resolution of the symptoms. Otherwise, like we we can give you herbs and supplements, and I've already mentioned a few herbs. Uh, like we can give you those sorts of things, and and. We can often expect to have some really great results from those but the moment you stop taking them, the symptoms start to come back yeah. and that and that's because there's an underlying issue that we need to address in order for you to get a full resolution of, of these symptoms and that's why I often go away and I do things like gut testing, like stool testing, uh, looking at the state of the health of the gut. Are there enough good bacteria? Uh, are there too many of the bad bacteria? I I do methylation testing. Sometimes I I look at histamine levels in blood tests. So there's there's lots of there's definitely lots of different things that we do these days. That look honestly, I've been in this industry for a long time now, and we weren't doing this 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. but we are now. We we've had to put our biochemistry hats back on, uh, and and realize that there's a lot of science that we can learn that will actually benefit our naturopathic practice because it. Then tells us where to look for the answers like what parts of the body need to be healed so now if we look and we find a pathogenic bacteria in the gut that needs to be gone we can then cherry pick the right herbs and the right supplements that actually help to kill off that particular bacteria or parasites so the, we can be a lot more targeted in our approach these days uh, and it's great. We get to have the best of both worlds. Totally, totally. And I
0: th- I have a real passion for helping people to understand, um, both as a practitioner and in my business and I think just in normal life, that you don't have to continue to put up with stuff Just because it's always been the way. So if you go, well, every spring I get super bad allergies and I can't go to watch my kids play soccer because, you know, the eyes, the nose, the blah, 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 and I'm extremely fatigued and so on, you don't have to concede to that stuff. Like there is a way through and there's a way to make things better. So I think this is where having a really good naturopath on your side um, makes such sense because it's like, all right, I don't want to have to deal with these. Massive seasonal problems anymore, or this—you know—every time I do such and such, I get a headache. Let's actually do a deeper dive, clear it out, find out what's causing it, so that next year you're going to have an amazing spring and be able to watch the soccer and be able to hang out with your girlfriends in the in the park where the cherry blossoms are, or whatever it is. You know, I just think people—I uh, I have a real passion for people empowering themselves and getting the right team of people behind them because health is all you have. If you don't have that, what else do you really have? Because, you know, poor health means that you really can't enjoy life like we were meant to.
1: But as women, we notoriously put ourselves last and we downplay our own pain and our own symptoms and our own discomfort. And we worry about everyone else first. And then we tell ourselves that, oh, it's not so bad because blah, blah, blah up the street has this other thing that's far worse than me. Yeah. it it often takes a long time for someone to actually pull the trigger and go and see a practitioner and do things because they just it it has to get to a point. It has to get to that tipping point where you say, look, no more. Yeah. And and unfortunately the thing is with seasonal allergies is that they're seasonal. And so if you just hang in That's there, right. They'll if you go. just hang in there for another eight weeks, like you'll be fine. And then that devil wind environment, that northerly environment bay that we love to call the devil wind, that'll <laughs> stop and then everything will get better, but does it. And, and what I would say to anyone who's listening who is thinking of just putting it off because it's like, ah, oh, it only goes for eight weeks, it's like is this hay fever a symptom of a greater problem? i.e. is there a gut issue underlying that needs to be dealt with or something else like we've already spoken about that needs to be dealt with? And if that's the case, what other things do you put up with that might actually get better if this underlying condition was dealt with properly and resolved. So So, true,
0: because it's not just spring then. I mean, you're seeing the allergies in spring, but what are you seeing when it's not allergies? There's other things that are presenting that are part of that same picture, isn't there?
1: Exactly, exactly. So imagine if you did finally address it, you might be pleasantly surprised about what other things in your health actually start to improve. Mm. Like how awesome is that? So awesome.
0: Let's give people some really good easy pointers, though even if it's just, okay, I'm not ready to go and see a naturopath and do the whole thing right now, but what what can people do now if they're just they're just faced with these seasonal allergies they're not ready to make the full commitment to the naturopathic process you know seeing you or seeing their practitioner and getting getting it really solidly looked at what can we do from home
1: be really honest with yourself and ask when you eat foods like gluten and dairy and sugar do you feel bloated afterwards or do you feel gassy or do you feel uncomfortable and if the answer is yes then consider eliminating those foods for a little while and let your gut heal. Maybe take some probiotics or pop down to the health food shop and ask them for a good quality gut healing powder to go with that probiotic. And that's where you can start. That's not going to solve everything. But that's a really good starting point, and helps to get that helps to get you in that place where you are starting to make some inroads to better gut health. Uh, there's definitely things that you can do around the home. You can use like air filters indoors. Uh, get your house checked for mold. Get rid of the dust. Clean it thoroughly. All of that. Use natural cleaning products in the house so as not to irritate your airways any more than they need to be. Uh, I, but I really do think a lot of it can start, it can start to be addressed with diet and just, just those really simple things to start cleaning everything up around you and then if you need to that's when you go and see a naturopath for the next steps because I guarantee you if you come and see me for seasonal allergies I'm taking you a spoiler alert I'm <laughs> taking you off gluten and dairy you're probably going to get a probiotic <laughs> and I'm going to get you to like make sure your house is like dust free and you know your pillow isn't moldy and you know all of that sort of stuff so cut to the chase, do that stuff first, yeah. then go and see the naturopath because then when you invest your money with the practitioner, they'll give you the next steps that, that are a little bit more tailor-made just for you. That's such a good idea. And actually, then you've saved one consult fee, haven't you? Because you've right. done the hard work before
0: you got there. That's so good. Hey, um, Can we talk about one of my pets, which I talked about earlier, the side effects of medication, this is my, this is kind of my, well, I like to say it's my baby, but it's not a very happy baby, but it's something Mm. that I love to talk about a lot because we just don't talk about it. Doctors never tell us, your pharmacist almost never tells you, but sometimes they do, but we don't really talk about the side effects of medication, both for seasonal allergies and for generalized inflammation. And I'll give you some examples that people are going to go, oh yeah, take that, take that. Claritine, Zyrtec, and Demazin, typical allergy medication. And when I used to work in pharmacy as a nutritionist, this is what I'd see every probably nine out of every 10 people is coming in for one of those three products. And then through to your typical anti-inflammatories like Nurofen, and aspirin. Let's talk about side effects and and what happens to our bodies when we continually take those over weeks or months or for some people, unfortunately, even taking them for years.
1: Well, they affect your gut. They affect your liver. I think those things are, are really number one and number two. But also they're, they're changing the way that your body works. If you're constantly putting an antihistamine in there to dampen down the histamine response, like what, what is that actually doing to your body? And taking antihistamines long-term, like I said before, like you actually need some histamine going on in the body to have healthy responses. So what does taking an antihistamine every day then do to the histamine levels in your body? And taking painkillers long-term every day or anti-inflammatories Uh, long term obviously affect your liver but some of them affect your gut as well so some of the anti-inflammatories that i see very commonly used in in the sporting community especially because i've played a lot of sport and i see people with sort of chronic uh chronic pain that i've you know i used to play beach volleyball and we used to see a lot of people with something called jumper's knee and lots of shoulder injuries and those sorts of things that they'd be on these anti-inflammatories like every single day so that they could keep playing sport Mm. but what they were finding is they were getting a lot of digestive issues and a lot of heartburn and reflux and, and even to the point where some people will get ulceration in the upper digestive system. And so they, this is why I really like to keep the drugs as a last resort, like absolutely have them there for when you really, really need them, but absolutely go back and check in with a good practitioner who's across, you know, who goes to seminars every year, who's across the current knowledge and the current education, because this stuff is changing every year, every year. So there's new herbal protocols, there's new nutritional protocols, there's new products that are coming to market. Uh, I use a product a lot for inflammation in my clients called PEA. Oh, I love, which that. Uh, love which P. that. yeah love PEA which stands for amide, is that right? Yeah, and you sound much Ooh. smarter when you say it like that. Yeah, woo, <laughs> screw you biochemistry. <laughs> That's right. So the, this this stuff I use a lot in, in my uh, inflamed clients, especially with things like joint pain, muscle pain, fibromyalgia, neuroinflammation, those sorts of things. This wasn't around five years ago. We didn't even have this five years ago. So it's really, really important to work with a practitioner who you know is spending the time the money and the effort every year to do their continuing education not not the token amount that we need to keep our registration but but more than that like the the association that i'm registered with like to keep my association membership, I have to do, I think it's, I don't know, 20 points or 40 points or something. And then last year when I was adding up the points, I'd achieved 40 points in like three months of the year and I kept going. So it's really important to make sure that the practitioner you see is really staying up with all the current knowledge because there's new stuff coming out every year and it might just be that new thing that's come out is the thing that helps you the most. So, yeah. And again, with the biochemistry and the methylation stuff and the gut stuff, there's new tests, there's new knowledge, there's new treatments, there's new everything coming out every year.
0: Mm yeah so important and the other thing with supplements that we can provide like pea for example is it's not it's not actually just dampening down the inflammation it's actually helping with inflammatory pathways it's helping regulate inflammation as opposed to dampen it down and changing your body's response to pain, and so on. But if you're if you're just popping neurin all the time, and you're actually feeling like, oh, I'm good, I can go play tennis because I don't feel pain, the injury is still there, or the inflammation, or the the um, the mechanisms behind the inflammation is still sitting there in the background. It's just that you basically got a monster in a box that you're sitting on. So mm. all of the hazards are still there, but you're not feeling them. And that concerns me too, because I think when we avoid pain because we're scared of pain or pain is inconvenient, we, we create a bigger monster actually out of the problem.
1: Yeah. It's fair to tell you to stop, but I mean, I'd be hypocritical if I told people to just stop when they feel pain, because I, I do a lot of physical stuff. I play volleyball and I go to the gym and I'm I'm the worst one. I'm that hypocrite who tells everyone else to stop when they feel pain, but then goes and does it anyway myself. <laughs>
0: yeah. And look, I don't think it's necessarily even that, but I think it's more that, you know, when people, are you know, I, I get frustrated, the ads you see on TV, like the guy wakes up with a it's a guy again but let's say it's a guy or a girl he wakes up with a really bad stuffy nose and he's got a super bad headache and he shouldn't be going to work but hey he pops the pill and look at him he's so super pr- productive and efficient today and we, that does damage to our body so if you're sick you stay <laughs>
1: The worst one is that ad on TV where I think he's at a kid's birthday party and he eats the cake and he gets heartburn but then if you have this if you oh. have this product <laughs> that will remain nameless it's just like this this stuff that you drink that creates this amazing lining on the, this barrier at the top of your stomach so that the acid doesn't go back up and cause the heartburn like job done oh, it's man. so funny cuz like I've been married for 20 years and so my husband has you know he's been with me for the whole of my natural career (laughs) including college right and including like the 15 16 years I've been out since college and he's he knows so much now that he will yell at the tv when that ad comes on easier by all means just get a plastic plug and stick that on top of your stomach acid like that will fix everything (laughs) that's a practitioner by proxy I love it (laughs) and then he sees the guy eating the birthday cake in the ad or whatever it is he's eating and he's like Yeah, just get stuck back into that gluten, buddy. Oh,
0: man. <laughs> that's so good. It's so true, though. It, I think, yeah, it's infuriating to watch those ads and think how many of us are influenced by that because, hey, it ticks off the, the symptoms that we don't want. But reading your body and understanding your body and being able to respond to pain as a messenger whenever you can. And obviously, there's sometimes when, look, you have to take the Nurofen or Panadol or whatever and, and get on with the important thing at hand. But that's not a long term solution. Um, really detrimental. Let's talk for a second about the other thing that no one's talking about, which is nutrition depletion caused by these medications. So for example, I just looked up ibuprofen, which is the, the thing in Nurofen, the anti-inflammatory. Ibuprofen depletes your body of iron and melatonin and folic acid. Now, when you buy that over the counter, you're not told, and I don't think even your GP would know. But I worked for 12 months in a pharmacy setting and it was amazing to watch the way that people purchase these pharmaceuticals over the counter and the way that I mean I think chemists are a little bit better at doing this than than doctors in my experience or than most doctors I'm sure there's some phenomenal doctors out there but there's almost no consultation and there is very little about side effects if any but certainly there's no discussion about nutrient depletion so for example if someone's taking neurophenon on a daily basis or even you know, once or twice a week or something, and they're finding they, they're they not sleeping, well, no wonder, because it's depleting your body of melatonin, which is necessary for sleep. Those kinds of things aren't flagged at all by most practitioners, but we obviously have access to portals that can tell us about all that stuff. Why, is, why are people not discussing it? And, you know, so many so many of us are walking around with these secondary unwellnesses because of these nutrient depletions why is it not on most practitioners radar do you think
1: oh goodness do, i don't i'm not going to get all conspiracy theory today because uh you know i don't, don't want to be you, angry today. i'm having a trouble. nice day <laughs> uh but look it's i think it's simply that it's not important enough to people to recognize or that it's not known that that's A big enough issue it's like oh yeah may may deplete some people of melatonin but if if the powers that be don't really understand how melatonin works or understand the importance of having good levels of melatonin they might just let it go through to the keeper or is it simply that getting rid of the pain or getting rid of the symptom is more important to them than losing a bit of folate or losing a bit of melatonin or losing a bit of iron that day. And I know that the drug companies are always saying that they – they, they're not designing their products to be used that regularly and that if pain persists yeah. you need to go back to your doctor and find you know and and seek out other measures etc and so like they they always kind of wash their hands of the situation and be like well we were never designing our product to be used five days a week every week 52 weeks a year we, this is for like when yeah. you're in pain not every day but then no one reminds people of that or they, go to, or they go to the doctor and if the doctor doesn't have a better choice or a, a better solution for them, then they're going to go back to taking this drug. And I've seen it myself where they've, you know, the option when you, if pain persists, you see your doctor. So you take your, take your ibuprofen, it works while you're on it, but the pain is persisting. So you go, right, I'll go see my doctor, do the right thing. Off you go to the doctor, the doctor goes, well, I've got this other drug that you can try, which is yeah. stronger, gnarlier, has more side effects, you know, scarier drug, right? Like the thing that I took the other week for my arm, right? That's, you know, big scary drug. So you go, Oh, well, if the ibuprofen was working, why would I say if it's this or the big scary drug, I'll just go back to taking the ibuprofen every day, right? Because then That's it true. doesn't seem as big and scary. And so it's yeah. kind of the best of a lot of these drugs I think that we're taking every day, they're they're kind of the the best choice of the bad lot. But Unfortunately, what's your next step? The next step is the doctor's going to refer you to. If it's joint pain or muscle pain, they might refer you to a physio, or if you're lucky, like an osteo or a chiro or something. Depending on your GP, if it's hay fever, they're going to maybe send you for some allergy testing. But but again, Mm -hmm. that can be very hit and miss because a lot of the allergy testing is where they 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 you know prick your arm. They find out that you're allergic to X, Y, and Z grass and X, Y, and Z pollen, and then they go, Mm "Well, you're allergic to grass and pollen." congratulations you have a grass and pollen allergy don't
0: go outside yeah
1: (laughs) that's right have a HEPA filter Mm -hmm. and a nice day and so or or you can have desensitizing injections which may or may not work so like unfortunately what what all of those escalations show us is that then we start to think that things like paracetamol and ibuprofen and your run-of-the-mill antihistamines are, are really not so bad because they're not They're not as scary, and then they become normalised, and then we're back to: is it normal or is it common? Conversation again. Yeah. Well, I I would definitely
0: strongly suggest for anyone who is taking any medications, whether it's over the counter or the big scary guys, to see. To even if you even if you want to keep seeing a GP, then see a. Complementary practitioner as well who has the access to the portals where they can look up the nutrient deficiencies and at least say, okay, you want to keep taking that, but let's kind of counteract that by, you know, getting more sun or improving this part of your diet or adding in a supplement or something. So, you know, it's not the ideal situation, but at least you're not then, you know, stuck with all growing big secondary problems like not being able to sleep, which causes again further inflammation itself so it's I just I just think everybody should have a good naturopath or nutritionist on their side so that becomes kind of your best buddy in all of these situations even if you do want to take medication you can still support your body in other ways yeah
1: and I do believe that as a practitioner it's really important to respect people's choices if they want to stay on the medication or if you come to me and you're on the big scary stuff and you need to be on the big scary stuff my job isn't to get you off that medication my job is to support your health goals right so if your health goal is to be able to get off the medication cool we can work towards that but if your health goal is simply that you want to stay on the medication but you want to make sure that you you know uh, have a bit of harm minimization going on where we want to look into the side effects or look like you said look into the nutrient depletion that could happen look into what what we can do to protect your body and to make sure that everything is still working really well while you take the medication, then I think it's really important to be that person for someone. And so if if you go to a a naturopath and they turn their nose up at the drugs and tell you that you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be on them, like, maybe that's not the practitioner for you. I think we need to be really non-judgmental and open-minded and work in with the doctors as much as we can and work in with the medical profession as much as we can because we're all trying to help people and, and there's been a lot of infighting that I see on social media and in the media over the last few years and I'm the sort of person who would rather work in with what the doctor's doing so that we can all achieve better outcomes.
0: Yeah, because it's about the client at the end of the day, right? So a good practitioner will always have the client's interests first. Who cares what I think? It's actually about exactly what you said. What are your health goals? And let me help you to empower yourself to work towards them rather than come and shift to my paradigm, you know? So I think that's a really good point. If you went to a practitioner and they didn't listen, they try to turn you vegan or something or tell you to come off your meds and that's not where you want to go, I agree, find another practitioner that that will listen and put you
1: first. There's plenty of good ones out there now, plenty. There really is, there really is.
0: So final thing, what are your top tips for a diet and lifestyle that minimise chronic inflammation and that help us to feel good? all year round. I mean, you've told us, probably you've given us a lot of those tips already, but let's summarize it to a little neat box package that people can take away and you know have something practical to to go on with today
1: absolutely avoiding the foods that you know may be causing an intolerance in your body if you think that is something if you think something is making you bloated gives you you know any sort of discomfort or any sort of bowel issues we need to rethink whether that is the right food for you right now 100 percent that's the first thing I would do with anyone. And, you know, like I said before, spoiler alert, it's often gluten and dairy, but it can be other foods as well. So yeah, a good place to start is to just evaluate those foods and maybe try a period off them for a little while, a hundred percent. Not not I'll have sourdough on Friday and Tuesday and a <laughs> croissant on Thursday, but I'm gluten free. Uh, no, I mean a hundred percent off and off and off the gluten and the dairy at the same time. Because what if you're what if you're intolerant to both and you go off one and you still have symptoms? So you decide that that's not the answer. So then you can go off the other one. Mm. That's not. And so you need to be off everything but if it's not just do that for a week or two and see how you feel right how do you feel in yourself how's your energy levels are you snotty have you got a runny nose have you got bloating have you got headaches like be really honest with yourself uh but yeah look a diet that is conducive to uh lowering inflammation is usually one that's really alkalizing it's really high in veggies it's got lots of greens very little processed food very little sugar no no cane sugar uh dare i dare i say low alcohol low caffeine <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think people just turn off. No, like, come back, come back.
1: What did you say? I said low, not none. low, low, not low. So, look, yeah, these are – and and it, it may not be that we have to be off everything 100%, but sometimes you just need to give your body a rest for a while, which is why detox diets are so good because they just – they eliminate everything but only for a few weeks, but it just gives your body that rest and reset opportunity that, that you don't get otherwise. And so, look, and different – We've got to remember as well that different people become inflamed by different things. We've got people out there, and I've got clients out there on vegan diets who are thriving. I've got, and we've got people out there on carnivore diets who are thriving. And if you put those two people in the same room and they have nice discussion, they they find it very difficult to agree. Uh, but That's yeah, true. you you can you can find lots of different. that will inflame a person, it comes down to the individual. So just because one diet or one way of eating or avoiding one or two certain foods has worked for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for you. That's why it's important. If you've tried some of the basic stuff, like I said, getting rid of the gluten, the dairy, the sugar, the processed foods, if you've tried some of the basic stuff and you're still having inflammation, that's when I think it's really wise to put it in the hands of a good practitioner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have been a wealth of information today, Jules, I've been um, entertained and amused <laughs> and educated, and it's been so fun. So thank you so much for um, for joining me and for being so open with your information and your help today, and we should definitely do this again soon.
1: Yay, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Thanks, Jules.
0: Unconscious is presented by one seed. Find out more at 1CPerfumes.com.